Good evening. It is the beginning of a new week, and it's been a long, dreary day. How many, other than this morning, and I saw you, how many got a nap today? I knew it. It was one of those days that was just begging for you to take a nap. Some of you obeyed obediently in the service this morning, and some of you may have gone home. Uh, and, and I hope you got that, and that we can have a, a nice study here tonight. A couple of things before we get started. Make your way, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be there for most of, uh, of this, this evening together. I'm going to ask you some tough questions and see if you're on your toes tonight. Uh, a couple of things, uh, college students, I don't know if any of our college students are here, but our Tuesday night meal is really weird. It's breakfast, but you've got a call to order, okay? Because we're going to make like uh, um, uh, scrambled eggs unless you tell us otherwise. And so I'm going to be sending out a text, and if you have a specific order, blueberries for your pancakes, you've got to tell us. How many think it sounds good to have breakfast in the evening? Am I nuts? No, I'm in Arkansas. I feel at home. That's right. And so we're just going to see if the college students like this or not. Uh, do not forget about next Sunday. A couple things. Entire contribution goes to the principal of this building and try to knock that thing down and get that out of here in 10 years or something. Uh, but also don't forget next Sunday night, our young men, we got some young men lined up to talk about Psalm 23 in three parts, and, and some good song leading as well. And then after that, the CRA chorus is here. We've, we've urged them, tell your parents, not only are you invited, you are encouraged to be here, and stay with us, and all of us eat together. Everybody always wonders this, and don't ask yourself this, because we're answering it right now. Don't say, I wonder if this is just for the chorus. The answer is no, it's for everybody. Is this just for the chorus and their parents? No, it's for everybody. Are you supposed to stay next Sunday night? The answer is yes. Okay, so no questions about this. If you have a crock pot, bring it full of something edible. Uh, if you don't have a crock, crock pot, then bring sandwiches or desserts or something. But we need to feed everybody. We have several guests with us. And Nate Thomas, are you here? Is Nate Thomas here? Maybe in, he always brings his favorite dish, which is Vienna sausages and cottage cheese. Has anybody seen that? I said, if you bring that, you are eating it alone. And everybody else agreed because he was the only one who ate any of it. But I love the fact that he puts that together. So, Nate, I want you to bring your nasty dish that you bring with you. Uh, and, and, and something else, just real quick, is, is uh, summer series. We're used to the summer series being different speakers coming in. Here is the, here is the plan for this summer. We're not going to bring extra speakers in. We are, you're having your regular class, but we are having different chapters, significant chapters of Scripture being treated by different men. And they are going to rotate through all six or seven, I think seven adult classes, colleges and up. And so they're going to rotate, and you're going to have all 13, 12 or 13 of those passages taught in your classes by the same men going around, okay? And they're going to go to all these, and they're going to have a handout for you and whatever they teach. And you study that, and at the end of the summer on a Sunday night, we're going to have a congregation-wide Bible bowl to see how well you know those chapters. Classes will compete against each other. Also, genders will compete against each other to see who learned the best. 
I can't wait for this, okay? So you just come to your class like normal, and you have somebody teach you one of those great chapters, give you a handout. You can study all you want. If you miss one, that's okay. The handout will be ready for you, and you study that. And then one, next, one Sunday night, you come ready to obliterate the opposite gender of the other Bible classes. We love each other, but let's put that aside for an hour, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to describe for you the final symptom of a hardened heart, but it's the most difficult, and it's one most likely several of you will disagree with me on, and that's fine because the principle is right. I want to read this to you, and it's also going to be on the screen. I think we put it on the screen. It was read very well just a moment ago, but you need to hear it again because I'm going to ask you questions. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left alone without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined, disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, not pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Feel free to yell out these answers. What does it look like? Not the first two. These are difficult. Uh, difficult, not really stated in the text. What's it look like? Notice the two most common mistakes with the discipline of the Lord. Number one is in verse 5. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. There are some people when disciplined by God who cast it off as casual. They think it has no bearing on their lives, it's insignificant, no big deal, and they go through it and they do not take from it what God intended. Then the next line says, nor be weary when reproved by him. When God disciplines you, don't lose heart, don't get discouraged from it, don't give up and say, I can never be good enough and get frustrated and walk away from the faith. Do not take discipline lightly and do not lose heart. Those are the two mistakes people make with the discipline of the Lord. Church, are we still disciplined by God today? We are. I'm afraid we often don't recognize it. I'm going to ask you some questions from this text. What is true discipline a sign of? According to this passage, what is true discipline a sign of? It means you're loved by your father. That's what discipline means. Don't tell me you love your kid when you say, I just love him too much to discipline him. That's baloney. You want that kid, you have a vision for your kid when you're raising them. I want them to be responsible. I want them to grow up as adults who become contributors to our culture and make our culture a better place. They're not going to if you are not a parent willing to discipline your kids. That means saying no. It means exerting a little bit of pressure on them to get them to learn lessons. Is that true? Do you think that non-discipline makes spoiled brats? Go to Walmart one night. Just spend a night at Walmart and see what happens. Question number two, if someone is not disciplined, what does that mean? According to this passage, they're not legitimate children. 
Nobody feels responsible. Nobody loves them enough to fulfill this function. And if you're a parent and you don't love your kids, you will not discipline them. But there are people who, you know what, that's not my kid, so I'm not supposed to discipline them. They're not being loved by anyone, and they're growing up without structure. That's what he says. If someone is not disciplined, what does that mean? Number Next one. Proper discipline makes the one disciplined view the discipliner in a certain way. How do you view the one who disciplines you? He is your father. How should the one being disciplined respond to discipline? You should accept it. You should submit to it. You should be willing to learn whatever lesson you're supposed to. What is the point of God's discipline? To make you holy. And then what does God's discipline lead to? A life with Him. These questions are all answered in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, what's this got to do with Pharaoh? Well, I want you to look at two or three passages from Exodus with me. And I want you to notice how God describes these plagues. Next one. Yeah, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. I'm the Lord. I'm going to prove to you through these plagues that I'm your father, that I am the God who loves you, that I am able to take care of you, and I'm willing to. I want you to know these plagues are discipline for Israel and for Egypt. The plagues are discipline for both parties. Next screen. Is that the next one? Go ahead, yeah. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my, bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. I am going to apply my hand to the rear end of Egypt. What is that called? That's called discipline. God is going to lead them out. He's going to judge them. The Egyptians will know I'm God, not their gods, not their lords, not the people over them. I am the one. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt, bring out the people of Israel from among them. Any of you ever had parents who stretched out their hand and touched you with love? That's what he's saying. I'm about to spank the Egyptians with these, these plagues. They're, it's punishment. It's discipline. It's God trying to say, I am the one over you, and you are going to listen to what I'm saying eventually. Next one. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send out all my plagues on you yourself, on your servants, your people, that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. I want you to know me as your God. I want you to know who I am. I'm your God. It's called discipline. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. You would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He's saying, I'm going to discipline you. Now, the reason I'm putting all this is this. God, through the plagues, is disciplining Israel and disciplining Egypt. These plagues are discipline from God. And I'm going to tell you this. A sign of a hardened heart is when God disciplines you, and you won't submit. 
I refuse to accept his discipline. I'm going to view it lightly, casually, or I'm going to lose heart from it. Now, the reason this becomes a problem, I'm going to tell you this. I believe what Hebrews says is, for the believer, for the Christian, every hardship you experience in life is discipline from God. Every hardship you have ever experienced or will experience is the discipline of God in your life. Now, you're going to automatically argue with me, but listen, just give me a chance to argue this for a minute. The reason this is a problem is because we equate discipline with punishment, and it's not the same thing. We think that discipline is being made to feel pain as a result for a particular sin. The reason you're being spanked is because you stole this cookie, and there's a direct correlation. That's not always true about discipline. Discipline isn't always punishment for a particular sin. Discipline is also a way to develop skills that you couldn't have had otherwise. And the way I illustrate that is bring in self-discipline for a minute. Some of us force things upon ourselves that are unpleasant for the sake of getting something better. Some of you have decided there's lots of foods you really like to eat, you would still love to devour even right now, but you are disciplining yourself to stay away from those foods. This is not a punishment for you. To view diets as a punishment is a mistake. And Wally Stanley will tell you this. You need to start looking at food as, I'm saying no to this, not because I'm punishing myself, but I'm rewarding myself with no heart disease when I'm 70. So what you're doing is you're, you're denying yourself these foods for the sake of being able to live longer on this earth in better shape. Or you might say to somebody who gets up early in the morning or sometime during the day, goes and exerts ridiculous pressure on themselves to go to the fitness center and lift weights and do cardio for a long time. Why would anybody in their right mind do it? The reason they're putting themselves through that is to be able to have health later on that's better than most people who don't. That's discipline. That's not a punishment for what you're doing. That's self-discipline. That's denying yourself something. So here's our working definition. Discipline is viewing and using difficult and challenging experiences whether you brought them on yourself or whether life brought them to you as opportunities to develop attributes for deeper maturity. I want you to look at that carefully. You max out your credit cards. That's self-inflicted. You didn't practice self-control. You max out your credit cards. You're financially stressed. And finally, you force yourself to live on a budget. You find yourself denying yourself many things that you enjoy and you understand that you have to do it, and you go and you do it, and you discipline yourself, and you learn some valuable lessons about self-control that you could have learned no other way. It's self-inflicted, but it's discipline. You lose your job. The company is cutting costs. It's not your fault. You didn't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. It wasn't anything because of bad behavior. It forces you out of your normal routine. You have to go look for a job and cut back on spending and make some really tough decisions in your life. That's discipline. And you gain the ability through this to hang in there, to control your anxiety, to persevere. You might even find a job you love even better because you were forced to look around at options. That's discipline. You get sick. Flu or something else, you cannot function. You lose three days of work, you can do nothing. You just have to rest and let the world run on its own without you for a while. It's not a choice you have. Is that discipline? Yes. You're learning something in all this, something that makes you a better person. You disobey your parents when they made clear to you what the rules were. 
They gave you warnings, you disregarded them. So they took away the phone, and they took away the keys. And they explained to you that this is to convince you that life has structure and order, and you need to honor it or face consequences. It's discipline. And you come to realize in that that you need to submit to rules and to people, and if you don't, you pay for it. Could that be learned any other way? No. Your house burns down. It's some freak accident and everything you have is lost and you suffer panic attacks at the thought of being so overwhelmed with what you lost and what you have to do to get back on your feet. In the process, you learn some invaluable lessons you could have learned no other way. And God says, I want you to endure. This is what the NIV says from Hebrews 12. Endure all hardship as discipline. Now let me, ask you, let me just stress two or three things before we apply this to Pharaoh some more. This does not mean God causes all hardship. I'm saying nothing about causation. To endure it as discipline, to view it as discipline, does not require you to render a verdict that God is bringing this into my life. It doesn't matter whether God's bringing it or whether he's just allowing it. Where it comes from and the cause of it doesn't matter one iota. It does not mean that all hardships are traced back to some mistake or sin in your life. Discipline is not just punishment. It's wider than this. It's like exercise and athletic training and dieting. It's about maturing and proving. And God says, I want to allow some things into your life to exercise your, your perseverance. Because without perseverance, you won't be mature and complete, not lacking anything, James 1 says. Well, how in the world can you develop perseverance if nothing unpleasant ever happens to you? But it doesn't mean that you've necessarily sinned. It does not mean that you're doing anything wrong. A job that you get is disciplined because it forces you into a structure of your life, but there's no way a job is sin. And one more thing. Every hardship provides an opportunity to pay dividends. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because this is a testing of your faith, and when your faith is tested by anything, it produces, it gives you a contribution of perseverance. You get something valuable out of this. What happens when Christians learn to endure all hardship, no matter where it comes from as discipline, is that we take these challenging moments and events that happen in our lives and we interpret them through God, like the falling of the tower again in Luke chapter 13. We can all look around and say, why did it fall? We can say, was it the sinfulness of those people? Or we look at it and we say, wow, that could have been me. And if it was, what kind of life am I living as, as a chance to evaluate our lives again? To view it as discipline, even though it didn't even happen to you. So the plagues were disciplined for Pharaoh. A judgment for mistreating Israel, yes, but keep in mind God was never going to destroy all the land. He made it clear he's trying to correct them and trying to prove to them who he is as God over the universe, showing them that God is over their false gods. And all of this was an attempt to discipline Pharaoh, and he disregarded it completely. He never gave thought at all to what this says about the Creator. And that's the problem with a hardened heart, is when bad things happen, you sim simply think, woe is me, and why is this all happening? And you disregard the discipline of God. View it lightly. Didn't take the trials as seriously as God would want him to. 
I know we would all love to be able to be blessed into maturity, wouldn't we? Just by receiving God's abundant provisions for our lives, all the good things, and we pray for them, we want them for us, but quite honestly, it doesn't work that way for most of us. God's kindness is meant to lead us toward a closeness with Him, but for so many, His kindness and our prosperity and the good things we have, instead of becoming an attraction to Him, are a distraction from Him. Even a week ago, in Paul's class on Sunday morning, he was teaching about Solomon. Here's Solomon, who has this one, he's like a genie, right? There's a genie, and God says, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And what does Solomon ask for? Wisdom, to know how to rule these people. And God is so pleased with it. I'll give you wisdom and then I'll give you riches. Was that a blessing? His riches distracted him from God. He started buying stuff and he started getting distracted and he started getting these alliances with other kings and these thousand women in his life and all this wonderful blessing from God. God's blessing me greatly. And he, he fell in love with the blessings and lost sight of the blesser. And all of a sudden, I'm wondering, were the riches all that great? Do you know how many people in America are going to lose their soul because of their love of wealth? Is this a blessing or not? I'm not sure. It depends, I guess. It would be nice to think that God could prosper a country into obedience, but if there was ever going to be one, it would be the United States of America, and it ain't happening. So what happens when God starts blessing us richly, and instead of drawing us closer to God, we start acting like spoiled people who don't need God, and we're ushering Him out of our lives? If God loves us as His children, what's He going to do for His spoiled brat kids? If he really longs for them and he's not just willing to say, well, forget you then, and he loves you enough, what's he going to do to bring you back? He's going to discipline you instead. If God loves you enough, that's what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, any father of any child knows that if he really loves him, he's willing to discipline him. Every hardship in your life is meant to produce a time of introspection and evaluation. Every single one of them. They're part of life sometimes. You try out for that sports team and you have your heart set on it and you don't make it. It doesn't matter why you don't make it. You don't make it and you're devastated. This is a hardship. This is discipline. A chance to learn how to live with disappointment and how to trust God anyway. You lose a loved one. A time of tremendous pain. A time of reflection you've done nothing wrong but it is a time of discipline to say how am I going to grow and am I going to trust God in this even though it seems meaningless and it makes no sense to me do I still trust him anyway that's when it's discipline and that's when you draw close to him and this becomes a time of closeness unlike any other in your life it is not punishment it is discipline a chance to learn something. You suffer from a car accident, some kind of strange in injury. God's not hunting you down, but it's discipline. Out of the ordinary inconvenience that provides you a chance to learn something. You couldn't have learned any other way. A hardened heart, though, receives a chance in these hardship moments of life to learn something, and that hardened heart disregards it. Whereas a heart that's attuned to God will use this opportunity for what it is. To learn about life from a different angle. Nobody learns from experience. Nobody. 
we learn from reflection upon experience. You have to reflect to gain something, but you won't reflect if you don't think there's meaning. So no matter what happens to you, if no matter what happens to you seems to cause you to learn anything or grow from it, you might have a hardened heart. Do you know people like this? They max out their credit card, somebody bails them out, and guess what happens? They go right back into debt again. Somebody bails them out and they go right back into debt again. Somebody uses drugs and gets off it. Somebody pays for the, the, the whole thing of getting out of that mess and they go right back into it. They haven't learned a thing. They haven't reflected a thing. They haven't changed anything at all. They keep going through the same stuff over and over and over and someone needs to say, listen, you need to suffer the real consequences so you learn something. And even the church during these times, I've known this through years, you know this. People will go through a difficult time and the church comes in and we pray for them and we love them and we go see them and we give money to them. And while they're going through it, they come back to church for a while, but within two or three weeks when everything has subsided, they go right back to what they did before. Nothing has been learned. The discipline from God has been lightly heeded. And when the trouble comes, they come back. And we go through it again, and they come back again, and when it's over, they're gone again. Stop me if this sounds familiar. A hardship comes into somebody's life, and for some reason, some people who are attuned to God and view all of life and all hardship as discipline, they draw close to God because of it. Their prayer life shoots through the ceiling. They commit to spend more time with God because it's, it's not because they choose to, it's because they can't survive without it and they're spending more time with God and they're more attentive to their spiritual lives and they're drawing closer to God and there are other people who go through the exact same events and it causes them to throw in the towel and quit. The difference is the heart. Can you endure hardship as discipline? This is a Sunday night sermon because this is difficult for people. When Oprah can't stand to serve a God who is jealous or a God who disciplines. Because God forbid in our culture there's ever discipline or inconvenience or pain brought into your life. I want you to know that we as Christians acknowledge we go through difficulties and those difficulties are allowed by God to draw us closer and to deepen our spiritual life and give us greater maturity because he cannot just simply bless us into spiritual depth. He can't do that. We're not equipped for that. We must also know there are sometimes we come to church when we don't feel like it and I don't like it and I don't like you or anybody else but I'm going to come anyway because I need it and there are times like that and we come. It's a choice you make. Who was the discipline of these plagues for? It's for Pharaoh and Israel, and I've got to tell you, neither one of them did very good with this. Pharaoh changed his mind for a little bit, and then goes back after the Israelites. Nothing changes. Israelites, within a week, are grumbling about water and food. When you just saw the ten plagues, when you just crossed the Red Sea, when you saw the incredible victory of God, and you start murmuring and complaining about a little food... Something has missed your brain. You've just not, and there's only two of them then of those original people that make it to the promised land at all. God's people are not real good at interpreting the discipline of God and learning from it. We need to get better at this. He never promised you ease and only enjoyment. 
He comes out and says, I'm going to discipline you. Our God, in the book of Hebrews, just comes out and tells us, church, I love you enough to discipline you. Any TV preacher that tells you that this, this kind of discipline isn't part of your Christian life is lying to you. What can be done for an old heart like this? The Hebrew writer seems to indicate this. They need to adopt a view of God as He's our Father, not just some being out there that we give our time to in worship on Sunday morning and then return to our lives with no impact. This God is our Father who loves us and wants us for more than just blessing us. He wants us more than just to ask all these things for Him in prayer. He wants deep relationship, and He wants us to run to Him when trouble comes. And trouble will come, and God knows it, and He allows it so that you will. It's a time to test. Are you going to come to me even when the trouble starts? Everything in life must be seen in relationship to Him. So nurture this and trust Him. God is treating you like his child, so let him. And when your father disciplines his son, the greatest thing the son can do is run to the father because that father is loving him. Quit looking at situations as some kind of random chance. Hebrews 12, 9 says we need to respect our earthly fathers when they discipline. And how much more then should we respect and submit to the father of our spirits and really live? Submit to it. Let him have his way with you. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that relationship so much, James says, that you count it pure joy when trouble comes into your life because you know God's doing something in me in this. And I love what I'm getting out of it. I don't love the process. I think one preacher says it best when he takes his child to the park. I've used this illustration before. It's a great one. And he puts that child on a swing and he swings them. And it's dad pushing son. Swing, swing. Dad, push it higher. Dad doesn't like that, but you know, whatever. We throw him real up high, almost to where it makes that swing set. You know what happens when you get it too high? Kind of starts doing this on the end, and you go, well, it's going to turn over and kill me, you know? But no, dad's, dad's okay. Dad's okay. Dad's going to swing. But let a stranger come along. Let a stranger come along who doesn't know that child. That child doesn't know him. Maybe a new babysitter or something. He's not going to let him do that. You see, the reason Jesus could like fall asleep in the middle of a storm on a boat is because he knew who was pushing the swing. He knew who was behind the storms. And because of that, he's like, the storm can rage. I'm going to sleep because my father's the one in charge here. And I want you to know, this God we serve is not just some capital G-O-D, a God, a, an impersonal God. This God we serve, the one you're going to leave here and live for all this week, is your father. He is your father, and he loves you. And everything that happens to you, he's watching. And if something good happens, thank him and praise him and give him a hug for it, right? And anything bad that happens, any hardship that comes up, run to him then too. And let that relationship just deepen. It's crazy. But this is what happens when the universal sovereign and ruler of the universe is not just the one in charge, but he's the one in love with you, his child. And if we can get that in our heads, we will interpret hardship not only as discipline, 
but as an expression of his deep love and respect for us that he's working into us. Only then will our hearts soften. Only when you know him as Father will your heart soften enough to when he disciplines, you can trust and submit to that and know there's a purpose for it. And then it ceases to be meaningless. It ceases to be useless suffering. It ceases to be these questions of why, oh, why, oh, why, and those are questions that are common. And yes, we'll never know why, but we will know what happens as a result. You draw closer to him. I pray that we can have a soft heart that views all of life through the prism of God, our Father, who's standing over us as sovereign, who's overseeing this for our good. And we can always, it's always appropriate to go to Him with every one of these circumstances. We serve a God who loves us enough, church, to discipline us because He wants something deeper than surface level. Are you on board with the program? Are you willing to let Him that's a tough prayer to have, but it's a great posture to, to live because nothing can happen that's beyond the control and the purpose and the master plan of the Father who loves you. If he's not your Father, why would you not submit to his lordship in the waters of baptism after your confession of his son's name? Why would you not? Everything's guaranteed then to work through his fatherhood to get to you. It's the greatest blessing of how to interpret all things that happen. If that's not your relationship with him now, why not make it that way as we stand and sing to encourage you?